Welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast. We address the issues, opportunities, and challenges facing women in the development of the metaverse, the biggest revolution since the internet itself. Every week, we bring you conversations with top female talent and business executives operating in the gaming and crypto industries. Here's your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. The Meta Woman Podcast starts now. Hello, and welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast, part of the Holodeck Media Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss, from struggle to success, recovering it all. To our returning listeners, thank you so much for supporting the show, and for our new listeners, welcome. I hope you enjoy. Joining me this week are Max and Jack Wink from Lunchbox Entertainment. Longtime listeners may recognize that Jack and Max are our first male guests. And also, take a bet for how fast I say Jax and Mac or combine your names. I just know that's going to happen early on. Um, the goal of Metal Woman is not only to highlight what so many of the awesome women that I've had on are doing in this space, but also to highlight work that's relevant for building a more inclusive space for everyone. Um, we want the future of gaming to, to be better and look better than it might be today. And so I want to bring on people who are committed to that, as Max and Jack are. I'm so excited to share with you all what they do and get into some of the issues that they're shaking on. But Max and Jack, Max and Jack. Thank see, you so hard. much for having us. Time twister. Welcome it's, to the show. It's not your fault. Thank you. <laughs> Glad to be here. Yeah, it's great. Great to have you. To start, I would love for you to introduce yourselves and give the audience a bit of background about you and your story and what you do. Uh, sure, I guess I can go first. Um, my background's actually been in gaming pretty much my whole career, but mostly on the content side. Um, it was started at working at a discovery subsidiary called Rev3 at the time, Revision 3. Um, was a video producer there for quite some time and worked with Adam Sessler, who is, came from G4. Uh, then made, made my way over uh, to Twitch, um, where that's when I learned about you know, internet communities and how communities form around content creators. Um, and then worked at a management company that repped those, uh, those streamers, those gamers on, on Twitch, and then decided that I should join Jack in, in making a video game for the first time, which is yeah, an, an awesome I come from adventure. more of a crypto background, early investor in Ethereum, making those guys, uh, especially some of the stuff that was going on with like consensus spokes, that type of thing. Um, and then also a big gamer, me and Max grew up with games, playing a lot of different competitive ones, a lot of the different like uh, mod communities that existed. So it kind of always made a lot of sense when um, crypto got introduced to more of the mainstream that like, okay, this is definitely going to be applicable to gaming. Um, and it wasn't until about this last year, we're like, all right, it's, it's in a pretty good stage where uh, it could really create like a seamless experience for new players and, and uh, be really better for gamers generally. Yeah, so I want to just start and dig in with that because I know that you all are working a lot on Web3 gaming and platforms for Web3. So that's a term that's gotten thrown around a lot in the past in the past couple of years or so. There's a lot of interest in it, but there's also a lot of, you know, it's, it's early. People don't know exactly what that means, what it is. Um, so can you all talk about what Web3 Gaming means to you? What is it? Uh, how do you think about it? And how are you incorporating it in, yeah, in, totally. so in your game development? I think like a really good way Web3? of understanding Web3 is kind of understand Web2 first, right? Um, so, you know, you can even look at Web1, which is kind of a giant Wikipedia, uh, 1991, 2004, a situation where pretty much everyone's just looking at uh, web browsers, uh, you know, different um, uh, web pages that people are making themselves. and it was pretty much all just consumer, right? Uh, then you kind of had this phase of Web 2 where you had like Flash and, um, you know, JavaScript come out. Uh, and that really created a lot of different interactivity for um, different people in the internet generally. And that's kind of like what we think of it now, right? We're still in that Web 2 phase. Um, and really in like a gaming context, I think that's really important where uh, you then have situations where, you know, League of Legends, Flash games, all that kind of different stuff of how are now players interacting with games online um, and uh, basically having a, a circumstance where uh, what kind of content they're paying for. And really like with Web3 in general, it's all about giving more ownership over to everyone, ownership over all uh, users of the internet. And when Web3 really comes around, it's hugely about 
um, how can we give players more ownership over their digital goods, over their um, different items that they're purchasing, as well as uh, receiving from being really committed to a community or a game? Can you go on a little bit about why you chose to develop a website yeah, game sure. instead so of using the more traditional Pretty much, um, for me at least, uh, I was a big gamer in like, uh, CSGO, uh, Dota 2, even League of Legends. And uh, I think, you know, me and Max had this crazy experience where uh, we both um, were playing CSGO once. And, you know, you get these boxes that you can unlock to get skins in uh, CSGO. Um, and one of the really, really rare skins to unlock was a uh, butterfly knife, right? And butterfly knives are cool because when you play, you can spin them around and look at them and everyone's always like, oh, wow, where'd you get that knife? It's so awesome. Um, and in like the course of two hours, both me and Max got one of these butterfly knives, which is just absurd rarity. Like, you know, the random chance of that is just nuts. And we were all really excited. And it was super cool. And uh, it was worth a lot of money. Like after the next couple of days, we like looked it up on Steam Marketplace and it was like worth 200 or $300. Um, but it was kind of strange because it was worth that much, but uh we couldn't actually take any of that money out, even if we did sell it, to like uh, have it for ourselves, or you know, even if we were to trade it, we'd have to like pay a lot of fees to Steam, um, which was like not necessarily a problem for us, but uh, it was kind of this weird, strange feeling where it's like you have this community that was really like valuing something that we had that felt really cool, um, but it was very controlled. It was very like I guess quote unquote centralized. You could think of it as where it was like this game studio really kind of uh, controlling something that we felt like uh, was something that we had a lot of emotional attached to, that the community felt like it valued a lot. So um, that was like a big inspiring moment for um, like looking back and being like, oh, wow, like what if you actually had players where they had ownership of the different digital goods that they think are really important for them as gamers? Okay, so it sounds like for you that cutting out kind of the middlemen in the game to player relationship was a really important aspect of blockchain technology of web three definitely of, of crypto but i think it say? goes even further right oh, so i would okay. say like once so you are um from are able to okay. not have such a centralized authority declaring what's valuable and what's not right so uh once you're giving over a little more control over to the player mm -hmm. a little more ownership to them then you actually can start creating systems that are incentivizing uh, different behaviors and valuing different parts of how players interact with games on a larger scale, right? So I think that's what's really exciting about what we're trying to do is um, mm -hmm. once you kind of allow players to take different, um, like maybe digital content that uh, a game is giving them uh, and they're able to transact it with other people and find value it in different marketplaces, then you can actually start valuing things like player's skill and even player's community behavior and commitment to um, contributing to that community. So that's really was like a huge reason of why we got inspired to make our game Sirocco, which is uh, how can we look at cryptocurrency in a way that we can value players' MMR, their skill level, the quality of, of how they're playing our game, as well as like how they're contributing to it. Mm -hmm. I absolutely want to get into kind of the the very unique mechanisms you all are putting into your game, but I also just want to make sure that there's an understanding of how this this how the entire online marketplace kind of changes. Because what it's sounding like to me is not only are you cutting out the middlemen, as in players and people who play the game um, can then own the rewards or skills or behaviors or whatever that reward might be, but also that that community is determining what those rewards are so you're kind of changing the economies in a sense in these games from i don't know i, I a one-sided interaction to a two is the best way i can i can think about it is before it was one-sided yeah. it was it was games determining what was valuable and then going through game mechanisms to sell that and now not only are players allowed to determine what's valuable but they're also able to create their own mechanisms to buy, sell, and trade those those goods or behaviors worth value. Oh, absolutely. No, I think that's 100% what it's about. Um, <laughs> like 
really, okay. um, you know, it's kind of sad because there's a lot of negativity around Web3 right now, uh, particularly because, um, you know, there is, we can kind of talk about this later, but there's a lot of issues with scams and NFTs and all that kind of dynamic that's going on uh, in the world right now. But really, if you look at uh, what Web2 gaming is right now, which is kind of the free-to-play uh, business model, is it's it's very exploitative and it's actually uh, you can kind of think of it. I almost personally think of it. It's it's, um, it's it feels even a little bit dirtier than what's going on in NFTs now. Not all games are like this, but if you look at a lot of like how mobile games look at um, getting players to make purchasable content, right, to purchase digital items, uh, it's really trying to exploit people's uh, sociology to get them um, ultimately just to uh, purchase as many different digital goods as possible but the player never has any of those digital goods they have no ownership of it they have not a lot of agency over how they can use those things so yeah it, i think for web3 really what we're looking at it is like how can we empower players to really um have more agency over how they're relating to games as a whole you know i think the dream ultimately is like um players feel like they have more ownership over their time their attention and every game that they're playing. So it's not just one particular thing, but it's more of an equitable relationship between the two. That makes sense. And as someone who previously worked in tech policy, I can tell you that the loot box slash slot machine style games are definitely some of the most of interest to regulators at the moment. So there might be some disincentivization there to also move away from that um, from a development perspective. Or hopefully there will be. Um, Max, I want to ask you a little bit about this because you are someone who has worked on kind of the partnership side, the community building side. So how do you, and and Jack has covered this a lot, but how do you foresee this having, changing kind of the way we think about gaming? Like how, how does this fit into the idea of the metaverse? How do you think companies and players themselves will will adapt and progress as we move more into web three style gameplay. Yeah, I think it's actually going to have a pretty profound impact that we really won't probably see, um, you know, really come to fruition for quite a few years, I guess, kind of like on a high level, um, what we kind of talked about, like the transition between web two to web three, one of the things that web three really, um, brings to the internet is an ability to monetize, um, uh, things built on the internet without advertising, you know, like the big problem of web two is like, how do you, how do we monetize followers and people using these websites, whatever you can put a paywall up. Uh, but most, most people, people don't, don't like that. that. It doesn't you know, work too well. So like, how does anyone make money? Um, and advertising was kind of the, not the unideal solution that we've kind of just grown used to over time. Um, Web3 makes it possible that you can actually monetize experiences and, uh, you know, what will eventually be the metaverse um, without advertising. There'll probably always be advertising for sure, but it won't be the the sole way or method um, that a platform um, makes money. And so I think that's a really big deal. I think that actually, you know, to Jack's point, really empowers the community in a significant way. But I think it also means that the the metaverse is a... Uh, something that is more complicated than just one company making this massive platform where everyone exists in kind of like this 3D world. I think it's I think that's actually less likely to be the future we see because of what just what the technology provides. Gotcha. Can you expand a little bit on how you see companies monetizing experiences? What does that look like? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, it's going, going to be really interesting. interesting. I think it's not clear, like, what model will be the, the dominant one. You know, I'd say that, like, Axie's Infinity is a model for a metaverse. You know, I think there's a really strong argument that it already has its own metaverse. Um, I, I think the the metaverse, as I see it, is not just a the, the 3D world that um, I think... Uh, Facebook and Meta kind of, you know, you know, advertise the world. Um, and so there could be monetization structures that are, you know, similar to like in-game economies and uh, the company, you know, takes fees off of all transactions and the players get to make money in some ways. Um, but I could, I could also see it being something we, 
maybe way more traditional and, you know, you know, more into what we have in real life where, you know, you're just buying digital products and that's, it's just a platform and then you come and, you know, buy the things you're interested in and, and that's about it. And you don't have to worry about a subscription or, or advertising. So the trans or the, the fees on, um, oh my gosh, I just totally lost the word, but the, oh, transaction fees. There we go. Transaction fees are something though, that Jack, you've already mentioned as kind of a downside to what web two is doing. Uh, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to understand kind of what the, what the difference will be in terms of protecting people who are playing. Um, yeah, talking well, about so, similar monetization structures, at least. Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess that's, that's a really good, good point. point. I think the uh, the, the difference, difference is going to be in like what, what the fee is, the percent. Um, it'll be, be a, a huge difference in uh, from maybe the era of Apple and Steam and a lot of these platforms taking thirty percent of each transaction. Um, that, that is likely to, uh, I think, drop dramatically to something closer to like single digit percentages. Because I think what's going to happen, my personal prediction, I could be completely wrong here, that everything's going to go to very high, high volume of, of transactions because it won't be just buying, you know, a downloading app or just buying a single game or some DLC content. I think the transactions will be. Um, at a, at a very, very high volume, volume. It, could it could be every, every time, time you interact or walk, or walk into, into a certain location. Uh, it could also just be traditional products. Um, I think I there'll think be a lot, lot of different models, models but it could, could be that the fee is in the 0.5% or 1% range. Um, and it's, it's really, really on the whole, um, you know, the, the, the whole network, network level. level that, that yeah, and I think the larger issue with a lot of the Web2 game studios right now that we're running into is that they have uh, these downloadable content that they're selling to players and then players are buying it. And then if a player wants to, maybe in a certain case, they have a skin, they want to trade it. They're taking another 30% cut off of, off of that. Um, and then you even have situations like Roblox where um, uh, players are actually making games themselves. And then you have the company taking 80% or more. Um, and that's kind of, I think, the unequitable relationship. It's not that uh, you shouldn't be able to support the company that's creating the product and, you know, games in the future should always be valued, right? They should be um, bringing in resources from players when they're uh, building things on those platforms. But at the same time, how can we have platforms feel, I mean, players feel like they have um, like their data, their time, their commitment to a game is being valued as well. And so it's really about creating a more equitable relationship. Okay, that makes more sense. So it's almost, I mean, and I, I hesitate to use this exact framing, but it's almost like a, a tax rather than a percentage cut. Like it's the way I see Roblox and other platforms is almost like they're taking ownership. Yeah, this is, I guess, exactly what you're saying. They're taking somewhat ownership of yeah. your digital goods and your digital property, whereas this is more so a, I don't know, a sort of, yeah, it's a, a, it's, it's a tax. tax. Like I a think it's. Tax. Exactly. I think that's the right way of thinking about it. And then the thing that, that I think Jack just brought up that's really important is that it's not all going to be, you know, uh, money lost because I think the future is where you're actually rewarded and compensated for your own contribution to the platform or to the content that's being made. Um, you know, platforms like Twitch, you know, they they have to pay streamers, you know, uh, money for for running ads and they have to give them a cut of the subscriptions because if they if they don't then the streamers won't be there making content but i think there's going to be even a um a more equitable uh model where the content creators are actually maybe getting the majority of of the of that um of that revenue of those some of those fees um, and, and then, then the platform itself actually takes the, the minority cut. I could, I could definitely see that being the, the future of these platforms. That makes a lot of sense. But the other thing about this is that definitely incentivizes the growth of really large platforms then. Um, because if you're talking about minor fees, then you, you do have to accrue a lot of them in order to be profitable and to continue, I don't know, making money. So... One of the, I mean, everything that's been happening in January, the massive amounts of mergers, and we're seeing a little bit more concentration in 
in studios, companies, we're seeing companies get bigger. That's not necessarily a bad thing at all. Um, but when you're thinking about this, are you envisioning a future where there's a lot of larger companies collecting smaller percentages? Or are you thinking of a lot of smaller companies? Well, I and how be, would those smaller companies um, survive? I just say just to start, like, especially think, with something yeah, yeah, like games, I think it's really important that you have content that uh, players can purchase that they think is valuable, that uh, supports the game studio. And that doesn't just have to be high volume. Where you want it to be high volume and something like you have these kind of fees associated with it um, that are more equitable is when you have players transacting content that they value themselves. Whether that's like a skin that the community creates or even a skin that uh, a game studio sells to a player, that uh, should be more of an equitable transaction for the player to another player. I think that's the big distinguishing factor is that you like you, there has to be ways for small companies to make money and players want that, right? That's how we that's how we look at like crowdfunding and what was amazing about Kickstarter in the early teens, right? Is a lot of players want to fund the projects that they think are really exciting and the games that they really love. So it's like that shouldn't go away. We just want to have a better system in place for when they're valuing each other's content and the content that they're creating as a community. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. So yeah, that's exactly how small businesses would survive is by selling their goods to people for yeah, and not having an enormous cut taken out of it. Um, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, well, we have discussed the economies of Web3 at length, but what I really, really wanted to bring you all on for was to talk about the mechanism that we talked about when I first met you all. So this is this is the big thing that drew me in that that made me want to bring you on this podcast was you all talked a lot about incentivizing good behavior as a way to kind of root out toxicity from the jump. Um, so I just would love to hear that the whole spiel again, because I think that this is really cool. Um, it's a really great thing to share. So tell me about that mechanism that you built within your gamer that you're working on. So we're really excited about not only just what happens with transacting uh, you know, different community-created skins and things like that, which we think Web3 will empower uh, really well. But there's also this other element where once you have communities that are able to value each other's goods, um, how can we as a game studio then promote good behavior uh, in our community with some of those different currencies that we're creating, right? So in our game, we essentially have these rewards that you get for both being a really good player, but also for being a really... Um, uh, well-ranked uh, and uh, just generally a positive contributor to the community. So like, let's say after a match in our game, uh, you're ranked for being helpful for teaching new players um, or just for not being toxic. Uh, those players will actually increase their quote-unquote honor rating in our game and get more rewards for it. So, um, you know, in our whole system, not only do you just have to be a skilled player to get the best rewards, you also have to be a positive member of your community. Um, and someone who teaches young uh, new players how to play, as well as maybe contributes well to uh, the forums or the discords outside of it. All of those things contribute to how us as a game studio values them in our community. And to add to that, the what we've really observed um, is that just banning people um, or, or removing um, ways for people to communicate uh, is not a great solution to having a better, richer community. You you throw a lot of the good out with the bad um, when you do those things. Um, obviously, there's some behavior that you you want to get rid of and remove, and banning will always be a thing that exists. But adding a positive incentive for person uh, for anyone, any player, to be um, a little bit kinder or to really be meaningfully helpful to other players, and there's a real upside to uh, treating people uh, well around you, um, we think that will be a really great and powerful incentive. But it still won't solve all the problems. We're still going to have some toxicity. And one of the things that um, I observed when I was at Twitch, because that, this has always been a huge problem um, for Twitch and something that Twitch really cares about, to really make sure that that chat um, on their platform is as uh, fun and constructive as possible. 
Um, and one of the things that um, I learned watching communities uh, on Twitch was that a role model is critical to having a really healthy community, a positive community. And so um, if you have a positive incentive that then encourages more people to be the role model for the rest of the community and to show that this behavior is the one that's rewarded, this is the behavior that we want to see here in this community, that does more than any type of banning or threats against the community to actually just be positive and having a good time and enjoying the conversation. Um, and so uh, though we're talking about incentives, um, the, the problem is more complicated than just that. And I think the solution is really in kind of identifying those people um, and using the incentives to really make their efforts worthwhile. Um, but it's really, it will always come down to just, you know, communicating and working with different community members. There's two things that I want to just point out again for everyone who's listening. The first is that I think it's brilliant that you're offering a reward for helping new players. Um, I am someone who is not into hardcore gaming, but one right. of the biggest reasons why is because I'm terrified to start. <laughs> um, that that barrier to entry can be really high, especially if you don't grow up with it. And I did not grow up with gaming in my household. And as an adult, and even as a teenager, I was not, I never felt confident enough to pick up a controller at a friend's house and give it a go. So I think that that is a huge kind of barrier to entry that you're directly addressing. And the second thing is I, I like the approach that you take to banning because I also think that the more you ban people, the further corners and the further dark places you're forcing them into. So allowing people the space to learn and grow and not just automatically assuming that everyone who does something that's poor behavior is a bad person is mm -hmm. a good, I mean, I think that could be a lesson for yeah. way outside of the gaming community, but um, that's a, that's a yeah, I mean, it's, really it's good way of thinking about like it. League of Legends or Dota or which is the same genre for us. It's uh, the, the biggest problem new players have is there's an incredible amount of knowledge that they have to accumulate in a relatively short amount of time just to play on the same level as the opponents they are going to be up against, right? That's kind of the bane of all competitive games at, at, at its core. So really, what the whole system we're trying to design is, is how do we deal with this core problem of um, new players having an easier time of uh, dealing with that cognitive load that's just so great and leads to a lot of negative behavior because no one wants to have someone on their team that doesn't know what they're doing, right? Everyone wants the player who's able to play the best and able to help them win the game. Um, but really, what we really want to look at it is like, how can we make those new players valuable to all players, right? Um, so that there's an opportunity uh, for even an experienced player to teach someone um, and to be rewarded for that because that's something us as a company value, you know? Yeah, I really do just think that that's a revolutionary approach. I mean, I, 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 live, with, I live with a gamer and I've seen him quit several times when he he's working with really young people right. or really inexperienced people just giving up on it super quick and not taking that time. Um, and part of it is understandable, right? Like you want to log on and you want to play. A, it, it's like, you know, I play real, <laughs> I play a lot of basketball and it, it's hard playing with seven year olds. <laughs> um, it's sort of similar in, in that regard, but it's also, it, you're right. It can be totally rewarding and valuable to actually take time out of your day to do that for someone else. And then you're only making the community better. So, I think that that's a really, I mean, I'm, I'm basically repeating everything you said, but I think that that's a really, really revolutionary approach to the way that a lot of things are done. Yeah, uh, and also just to add really quick, I, like that I think that's the one thing that's going. important is that mm -hmm. you give players options, right? Mm -hmm. So whether your partner is someone who, okay, maybe he only wants to play with competitive players, and that's fine. We can give them the option to do that. But maybe if they're more open to playing with new players, right. or even in the case mm -hmm. of like women who deal with uh, a disproportionate amount of uh, uh harassment and toxicity when they're gaming like maybe we could have a pool for players that are really uh, prioritizing having a positive environment for them to learn in or for them to play in so i think that's a, a huge important part it's like how do we create spaces for people that are looking for certain experiences well and that is one benefit to the approach that you're taking is that you're able to 
differentiate those people within exactly the experience and actually provide them with what they want. Um, which I think it, the whole, I mean, the whole here on the whole, it seems like what you all are doing is trying really hard to listen to audience feedback without letting, this is the problem with game development, right? There's always a lot of audience feedback. Nobody ever knows really what to do with it because audience, audience, the audience is not always a game developer either. So it can be hard to give everyone exactly what they want. But I feel like what you're doing is breaking it down into smaller chunks and allowing people to kind of choose their own experience and saying, if this isn't what you want, try over here. Uh, and if, if someone can't find exactly what they want on your platform, that's, that's, you know, you're going to have those people, but on the whole, you're allowing everyone to have a more differentiated experience than just one simple, straightforward game. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'd say in addition to that, it's really important that we make some meaningful progress in this direction out of the gate. Because culture forms quickly and cultural norms around a game and a space um, are going to form relatively quickly. And it'll be really important that those norms are, are positive ones. Um, we've, I've seen that in multiple games that when they come out, you know, if you look at the community and culture around uh, Counter-Strike or CSGO versus the community and culture around Valorant, they're, they're worlds apart. Um, but, but you could argue that they're uh, almost the same game. They're direct competitors with each other. Um, and so, so like, like why, why how is that, that possible why are those dramatically different uh communities and cultures and i think it really comes down to like the norms of, of communication and and how what's acceptable um uh for, for talking or, or communicating with your team because i see a lot more female gamers playing valorant than i do playing counter-strike yeah getting into that uh, getting into that deeper how do you think that the environment in CSGO will limit it eventually. I mean, CSGO has been around for a long time. It, it does have an absolutely thriving scene. So I'm not trying to suggest that one day CSGO is going to disappear because there's toxic communication on the platform. But what are the downsides to games that have been around a while that have this as a root problem versus building? Yeah, ultimately... Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think they are limiting their own future growth. Uh, the number of people that they can potentially attract to play their game is hugely diminished. If you're, if the community and culture on your game is just not appealing um, to an entire gender, um, like that's a that's a huge problem. And and I think it's something that you know I, I've seen a lot of you know game developers say they really care about and I, and I believe them. I want to, I really give them the benefit of the doubt that they do want to implement change, but I think it is just very difficult. And when you have a culture, you know, formed around a game for a very long time, maybe the developers just didn't know it mattered until recently. Um, it, it's really hard to change it. Um, it, it's very, it becomes very entrenched. Do you all feel as if this is a function of web two versus web three gaming, or do you think that web two can adapt and it is it possible to incorporate some of the elements that you're working on incorporating to build communities in a different way or do you really see this more as a web3 is unique it, here in in our ability to go this yeah, far it's, with it's it a tool. obviously web2 can use some things but we've seen it yeah in it's, games it's a tool already where it's i would really say positive. it's a tool a great example we've like seen it in games already where it's really positive very a great well example is like final fantasy fourteen is very well known really having extremely positive community but um, I think there's the difference a really well that developed there. just because but of who I the think people the difference were that are playing that game. That developed maybe the aesthetics just of the game who the people also were that are playing that game pushed the culture. Maybe the aesthetics of the game also just but narratively I think what Web3 pushed the culture in that is, direction. You know, tools but maybe I think more what Web3 offers that is from the ground you know, up tools instead of maybe more deliberately you know, hoping that that's the way from the ground up. I think one thing that needs to be recognized is that this is a innate problem with online gaming. Uh, to any you know, any game deals with this to a certain degree, but competitive games struggle with it the most. And the problem I think for a lot of Web two games is that uh, a lot of their monetization strategy, a lot of the systems they have in place, are kind of structured around this one uh, one to one relationship with the player, where the player isn't able to value um, you know their own contributions and, and different aspects of like uh, their skill and 
and different currencies that they're accumulating in game, right? There's just not that structure in place. So I think Web2 um, games could do it. It would just take a lot of uh, rebuilding and rethinking. No, I was pretty okay. much done. So, yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that I got that. So I just, yeah, I want to put a fine point on this, but what, what you're saying is that there's a better opportunity to bake inclusion, diversity, equity in from day one on web three, because there's yeah. more of a two-way marketplace than it is to adapt those tools into into current web two games. Yeah, I think there's, a, there there's are some, some tools that, that they definitely have at their disposal. Uh, like you could look at different ways of, um, you know, using skins in order to reward players. I, I think those things could fit in web two. The problem is, is what really gives you this ability to, uh, I think, incentivize good behavior is having that gradient of positivity or, you know, um, you know, that ranking system where you can kind of show uh, w like what level a player is at and for that player to feel like they have a direct way of um, seeing that value that they're contributing. Right. So I just think that takes a lot of work. And, and what's so exciting about cryptocurrency is that you can. Um, really implement that pretty easily. It's much easier than just trying to have a giant centralized server that you're, um, you know, uh, creating creating this new kind of profile system for players on. Okay. Okay. That makes more sense. Oh my gosh, this has been so interesting. Okay. So I want to broaden the scope a little bit um, with crypto, Web3, all these other things. And you brought it up earlier, Jack, that NFTs have been a big part of this. And a lot of what we've been talking about with trading digital assets, that obviously is essentially what an NFT is, you know, um, singular tokens that are of value in some way. So there's been a lot of backlash to a lot of these concepts. And you all as Web3 developers are have this risk of imposing similar backlash upon yourselves just because there's been a lot of negativity in internet communities um, about this kind of development. And I some of it may be rightfully put out there, just there's been a lot of crazy stories, there's been a lot of scam stories. I think that there's a lot that also gets overlooked because it's not as exciting and scandalous to cover in the news. But how are you all thinking about your messaging around this, what the current environment looks like for NFTs for Web3. Um, I don't know, just what are you doing to try to build your own community that feels safe and comfortable with what you're doing? I, uh, I'll, I'll jump in here. I was going to say, I, not everyone at once, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think we're, there's a lot of those basic tools that um, we want to be building into our game uh, that protect people as much as possible so that they're not victims to scams uh, in the general like space and ecosystem. Um, I think, you know, in general, in games, there are a lot of scams. Uh, I would say that I've myself be, been uh, a victim of numerous scams in, in video games, more more than maybe the older ones like Diablo 2, where someone told me they could duplicate my item and then they took it from me, they stole it. Um, so I think there's a bit of a, this has always ex existed in video games, but now we're all hearing about it because it's now something that can happen at a larger scale and it's far more visible. Um, but that doesn't necessarily, that in no way excuses it. I just think that's a bit of a, a factor at play. Um, and in terms of like convincing like gamers that this is maybe actually good for them and the games they play, um, it's going to be tough because there's been so many instances where uh, game publishers um, and, uh, and developers have really taken advantage of, of gamers and their passion for a game and either put up massive paywalls for content um, or microtransactions that are very predatory. Um, so their, their concern, the fear and, and the backlash is very warranted. So I completely sympathize. Like I'm one of those gamers who is also, uh, not a fan of those predatory, um, you know, practices. And I think what I hope at least that web three has to offer, cause there's always going to be a dark side to it. 
Um, there's always going to be NFTs that are scams. There are going to be people that are using NFTs just to capitalize on the hype and just trying to extract more money from people. Um, but there's also a version where, you know, like we've talked about already, uh, where the player gets to really have ownership over the things that um, they're buying. Uh, it, it's totally true. One of the critiques is like, well, if the game goes down, then that item is still doesn't have value. Um, that's absolutely true. It doesn't, it's not a perfect solve. It's not like you can take your skin and just stick it into another game. The other developer has to allow that to happen. But at least that if, when we make our game, we can create um, skins that people can go sell. Just like the, the story Jack told about the, the skin, the, NF, the, the, the knife we got from CSGO, mm -hmm. Um, we were only able to sell that, which is really cool, but we we're only able to do that because there is an entire marketplace that was already built. Um, and we were, you know, there's a bit of a wall garden, you could say, but it was basically a good thing that there was a marketplace. But for us, we can't build that whole marketplace on our own, um, but they do exist out there. And so I think that's the, it's more of the freedom of choice that NFTs have to offer people. It's not... You know, I, I think there is too much hype around it. There is too much overemphasis of like, this is the new cool thing when it's actually just a kind of boring addition of technology <laughs> that just gives you more choice, which is actually a really incredible thing. But the technology itself um, isn't really anything that someone should get excited over. It's when they get the skin that they can then take to another uh, uh, platform to trade to, to sell or, or to buy, that's, that's when it's exciting. It's because that's, you know, expanding your experience of the game. Yeah. I think that's a, it's such a great point that it's, it's really a tool for games going forward. And it basically is just making what already exists with downloadable content, um, more useful for both the developers and the player, right? What's really cool about us as developers too, is we can make these skins if they're NFTs have data associated with them. So they can track different stats. They can change if they have uh, you know, certain stats associated with them unlocked, you know, like there's a lot of really cool options for us as developers once we make them. Um, so it's less so much about just, uh, just having the idea of NFTs and, and selling them somehow makes your game good. That's not what it is at all. Um, and I think part of the issue so much is that uh, a lot of the critiques you hear about NFTs are good ones, right? But to me, they're less about NFTs or crypto itself. And they're more about like culture or even like how capitalism wants to value certain things, right? Like art mm -hmm. is such a weird circumstance to value, right? Like uh, this is a classic issue that we've dealt with as a society for hundreds of years, right? Like how can Picasso just put a line on a piece of page and sell it for millions of dollars, right? Uh, mm -hmm. It's kind of like Pokemon cards. Let's look at like Charizard selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? So I think those things are always going to exist and 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 be a, a question that we're asking ourselves but i don't think nfts are the issue it's that's how we relate to them yeah i think that's an extremely fair characterization there has been a lot of hype and a lot of negative stories but that doesn't yeah i i actually like the the qualifier that the underlying tech is fairly boring <laughs> i i think that that's a really actually good way of thinking about it because you don't really have to understand centralization versus decentralization in in the web space and in connectivity and in networks to under to just log on to a game and play it um, and realize that that's a different a completely different experience than the one that you've had and i don't think anyone when web one turned into web two i don't think a lot of people jumped up and said oh now we're in web two um or at least yeah, if exactly. they did they have not lasted the test of time <laughs> So I don't think, I mean, I certainly didn't know that web one or web two existed before web three started becoming a term that everyone threw around. Uh, so I like this idea of a more boring transition. I think that that's a, almost, it's, it's a good way of looking at it because the average consumer doesn't need to know the underlying tech and all of the, the technology that it's built upon in order to just log on and enjoy it the same way that we have so far. Yep. I wish it was more boring than it is, but um, here we are. Well, once once I saw all the hype. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all, it's all Twitter's fault. <laughs> I say that as someone who loves Twitter, by the way. <laughs> That's why I'm totally qualified to critique it. <laughs> um, okay, so I do one last segment at the end of the show, but before we get into that, 
I want to do a quick summary of what we talked about. So we started with a long, or not long, but we started with a, a good history and a good understanding of what Web3 actually means. Um, so we went from Web1, which is static pages, to Web2, more flash and interactivity, to Web3, which is with its decentralized platform, allows ownership for users all over the internet and gives people better ownership of their digital goods. Also means a two-sided marketplace, so players are both able to own their own items and decide what is valuable when trading those items. When it comes to companies moving on to more Web3 platforms, we talked about how there's going to be a different monetization structure. Transaction fees will drop, so companies, there will be more B2B, B2C, and C2C transactions. This is what I really got out of that, is that it's actually a chance for all kinds of different transactions to take place rather than logging on to a platform and having to go through that platform's transaction system, which can be uh, quite, I don't know if predatory is the right word, but quite quite harsh, I suppose, is a better way of saying it, on its users. Um, so companies will be able to make money all kinds of different ways, whether it's a small company directly taking ownership and selling goods, or a large company collecting a small you know, digital tax or kind of sales tax on the sale of a great net of goods or transactions. Um, we talked a lot about the thing that I was most excited to talk about, which was the way that you all are developing your game to reward good behavior, both and to kind of address some of the root problems that we see in gaming. One being the entry of new players and that huge barrier to entry, um, creating a space for that, while also maintaining a space for competitive players. So allowing different audiences to have different experiences depending on what they want talked a lot about having role models and as an alternative to banning, um, allowing people to actually see what behaviors are are rewarded to help grow the community and build it in a positive way. We applied that a little bit to what Web2 games are doing, but largely it's, it, and these days, it's just kind of easier to build something new where it's not a problem in the first place. That doesn't mean that there's not things that Web2 games and especially legacy games that have been around for 10 or 20 years could implement, um, and I think you all have great ideas on what they could implement, or at least a, a framework for what they could implement, but it is obviously harder to do that um, on legacy systems. We also talked about how it's harder because they can't create profiles in several different places. It's one centralized system where people are constantly acting and transacting. Um, makes it a little bit harder to incorporate some of the elements to work. And when it comes to the metaverse crypto kind of as a whole, gamers have to be kind of shown what's good for them and also shown that they don't need to have an opinion on the underlying tech, that it can be a seamless and boring transition for them um, and how Twitter has so far ruined all of that. <laughs> <laughs> but for the last little bit, I like to ask all of my guests to do a moment of reflection. So this is a chance just for you to think back on on what you've done, what you're happy with, what you're maybe unhappy with. I'm looking at you, Max, and the Diablo scam. <laughs> um, <laughs> and just to, I would love for you to answer this question. What is one thing you would like to tell your younger self about getting into the gaming industry and being successful? I mean, I guess I'll I'll say related to the Diablo scam, I am really, kidding really about that, great. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The I'm really grateful for all those experiences in gaming. Um, you know, at the moment, in the moment, I was pretty bummed out, but um, ultimately all of gaming has taught me more about the future of the internet than I ever could have imagined. It really has for me been a microcosm for communities, uh, how culture forms, um, and what I see as being kind of this next um, really big chapter um, uh, on the internet. Uh, so I, I think that's something I'm really grateful for all the positive and negative experiences. Yeah, that's such a good point. Um, I think similarly too is, is trusting that, uh, what you believe is good, particularly from like a mechanics point of view, going into the future is going to be recognized by the communities, uh, of the internet. Like if you have a great game that, um, you think is really fun and, your team and your friends really believe it's great as well. The world's going to recognize it. Uh, and I think that's something that's really exciting about nowadays where it's not going to be so much of you having to convince VCs or going to a publisher and being like, 
hey guys make sure you like our game like this is this is going to be the next call of duty right like it's 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 a different place where you can actually be recognized for the design work you're doing it doesn't need to be always pretty uh, but it can still be a really excellent game and and that's something i just think people should really know and and understand being in the industry well this has been such a great episode uh when i was preparing for this i kept thinking about have you all seen little rascals that movie from our childhood he oh yeah yeah the end portion, the He-Man Woman Haters Club now accepts women. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I kept thinking about that when I was writing that and having you on as the the first male guest. One of the things that we talked about in our, our little our chat the other day was that um, there's been a lot of women who have been in male-dominated spaces, and that's been a really difficult experience. And I just appreciate that you have come into this space, which presumably is female-dominated, <laughs> Um, and shared what you're working on. And I think that, I, I really think that things that you're doing are extremely unique and hopefully have an impact on some of the other issues that some of the other guests have brought up. So thank you for doing that. Um, I really appreciate it. And thank you for your time. Where can people find or follow you if you want to be found or followed? I guess if since our game is still a little bit in stealth mode and hasn't fully been announced, um, maybe a decent place is to, you can follow, uh, myself on, on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Maxwell Wink and any relevant announcements to our game will also be retweeted there. Perfect. Yeah. And it's such an honor to be here. I mean, it's really cool, uh, being your initial males on the, the podcast. I think, uh, it's been a really blast talking about this stuff. Perfect. Well, thank you guys so much for all of our listeners. Leave five-star ratings and reviews. You know the deal. Uh, check out other Holodeck Media podcasts, including Meta Business for all the metaverse finance stories you could ever want. Business of Esports for interviews with industry leaders. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, Lindsay Poss, and you can catch me Wednesday nights on the Business of Esports Live After Show. You can catch this podcast in your feed every Tuesday, sometimes Wednesday, depending how the week goes. We will see you all next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Woman. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Woman.